is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, you may need a new plan. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday. Appreciate you guys choosing A to Z and Locked On Sports Atlanta as part of your everyday sports. Listen, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. We'll get into the Atlanta Falcons here in just a moment. Of course, the Hawks have a huge offseason coming up. Some more tidbits from our good buddy Chris, Chris Kirshner of The Athletic. And the Braves get a win last night, and they'll try to take two or three from Milwaukee once again all that coming up here on the show and again we appreciate you starting your day with Locked On Sports Atlanta all right um Jeff Schultz of The Athletic uh writer here in town columnist uh, one of the best in the business uh, love his work always have for years since I moved here to Atlanta he had an interview a sit down with Arthur Smith uh, from the Atlanta Falcons the head coach uh, and he talked about you know, uh, I guess Arthur Smith, the, the, the title of the column was Falcons Arthur Smith focuses on winning, says tanking is the, quote, dumbest thing. And, of course, everybody in the Falcons has, you know, their idea for, or at least Falcons fans have their idea of what this season should look like, how it should feed into next year, how it should feed into the long-term plan, so on and so forth. Heck, I, I, I've been saying it for a while, you know, about the rebuild process. And Arthur Smith brings up a good point, you know, that, that – the NFL is different now, right? You can't do what the, what the Dallas Cowboys did in 1989. You make that Herschel Walker trade, Jimmy Johnson takes over, and they have this long rebuild, you know, where they have four or five years. It doesn't work that way anymore. You know, it just, it, it's not the way it works. Um, when they drafted Troy Aikman, they went one in 15. They were a bad football team. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those deals where they just, you just don't have that kind of leash anymore in the NFL. And I understand that. I think he's right. And he also addressed the idea of when they got rid of Matt Ryan, when they should have gotten rid of Matt Ryan and, and everything else. And look, I was somebody <laughs> uh, who said that the Falcons should have got rid of Matt Ryan. I, mean, I, was, I don't want to say get rid of because that, that means like he's bad. It's not. They should have moved off from Matt Ryan before last season started. Uh, Arthur Smith's second year. And um, that wasn't met with you know any sort of... Uh, you know, acceptance. People thought I was nuts. People thought I was crazy and so on and so forth. When you brought in the new head coach and the new GM uh, was the time to make the change. It really was, you know, uh, and, and I suppose, you know, his logic and, and according to the column with Jeff Schultz, you know, Arthur Smith's logic is they wanted to see what they had with Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley. They, they wanted to see what those guys were that they needed a competent quarterback to do it. When you brought in the new coach and the new GM is when you should have moved off of Matt Ryan. It, it made the most sense at that point in time. And, you know, Arthur Smith goes on to say in the column that he doesn't believe that, you know, people understand the cap and that people understand, you know, uh, the NFL and, and so on and so forth. And, and I don't buy that. Um, well, not everybody understands the intricacies of the cap. Uh, the general understanding of, of cap management isn't like high level math, you know, like it, it's, it's, there are some nuances and intricacies to it, but nonetheless, moving off of Matt Ryan before restructuring his contract for a second time, uh, yes, would have been a major cap hit, but you're, it's the exact same situation you're in now. 
It really is. Like you're, you're, you're not in any different spot other than the fact that you wouldn't have had a better idea of what Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts looked like because the quarterback play would have been less. So I get that. The other thing that he says where I say you might need a new plan in the column, and I'll read this directly. He says, if you're looking for Smith's ideal blueprint on how to build a team, start in Kansas City. The Chiefs hired head coach Andy Reid in 2013, remained competitive through their rebuilding process, and didn't draft their quarterback in the future, Patrick Mahomes, until 2017. Mahomes took over in the start of 2018. Chiefs won the Super Bowl 2019. Reid, seventh season. Okay, let's look at that as a little bit of revisionist history. When the Chiefs hired Andy Reid, and when they were, quote, rebuilding, they were winning the division every year with Alex Smith. They were going to the playoffs every year with Alex Smith. That is not a fair comparison at all. And that is not the model that you want to use at all because you're not remotely in the same spot that they are. You're not at the top of your division. You're not going to playoff games at all. The Chiefs rolled the dice with a quarterback that was winning them divisions and taking them to the playoffs and decided to draft his replacement. I mean, they, they knew they were getting off the Alex Smith ride. See, the problem is, is – and this isn't Terry, uh, Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith's fault. The Falcons didn't draft Matt Ryan's replacement at any point in time ever until they got rid of him. And they haven't even drafted him yet because we don't know if Desmond Ritter is. But the point is, is that that is not a good comparison. It, it's not a fair comparison because these teams are in completely different spots when it comes to the way they're going to go about rebuilding. The Falcons' rebuild is probably more along the lines of the Bengals right now, where you have a team that is just not a talented roster. And what the Bengals did was, they, fortunately for them, they had the number one overall pick and they drafted their quarterback in the future. But what they did was throw that quarterback to the Wolves and see what happens. And as I've said repeatedly on this show, and I've said repeatedly every other show that I've been on, they threw Joe Burrow to the Wolves, and all they figured out was that he could play. And they got him hurt, no less. They got his ACL torn because nobody could block for him. But he, he went to his first year in the NFL with an A.J. Green who had missed the previous year with injury, a Tyler Boyd who was a 800-yard receiver at the time, and T. Higgins who was a rookie. That's what they went with. And a bad offensive line and a mediocre running game. Joe Mixon wasn't what he was until he is right now. So that to me seems more like a more comparable, you know, idea of how to rebuild as opposed to the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the exception. There aren't a lot of teams who go out, heck, the Patriots even tried to do it. The Patriots even tried to draft Tom Brady's successor and Jimmy Garoppolo. And that whole thing blew up in their face because Tom Tom and, and Robert Kraft were buddy-buddy. But Belichick knew what he was doing. He said, I don't know how much longer this play could continue. Now, Belichick was wrong because Brady's play has done nothing but sustain. But nonetheless, the idea is that I don't know how much longer this guy's play, how much longer we can we can stay at this level with this guy. We better find his replacement. They took Garoppolo in the second round. That's not what the Falcons did. And, and that's not the situation that they're in. You know, I mean, again, it, the Falcons are in the same situation as the Seahawks. Get rid of my high-priced quarterback and just start fresh with a roster that's bare bones and doesn't have a ton of options right now. Seahawks are doing the same thing. Drew Locke's their freaking quarterback. I mean, 
I don't, again, I don't like the idea that he's comparing them to the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I think that's flawed. I think that it certainly um, isn't a an apt comparison. Now, that doesn't mean the Falcons can't be good and they can't be competitive this year. I hope they are. But nonetheless, this is a, a completely different situation. All right, coming up next, a different situation for the Atlanta Hawks as well as they go through their offseason and some key points to make about how they're going to rebuild this roster. That is coming up next right here on A to Z, free on YouTube, on Locked On Atlanta, and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Check out all the shows that we have right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. After A to Z, have Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. Of course, our Braves postcast with Grant McCauley, who's scheduled to join us tomorrow as the Braves wrap up their series in Milwaukee today. As well, don't forget about Locked On Falcons with Aaron Freeman. He joined us yesterday. Go back and listen to that interview. He and I always have some great conversations around the Falcons and, of course, Locked On Hawks with Brad Rowland. The entire team here building something great, and we love having you guys along with us. So we certainly appreciate all the support and all the love that you've given Locked On Sports Atlanta. Okay, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, uh, and, and we've spent a lot of time talking about their offseason, but I think it's important – to look at their offseason sort of through the lens of what we're watching right now in the NBA postseason, and in particular the Eastern Conference Finals. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals last night between Miami and Boston. If you didn't watch, uh, you, you missed Jimmy Butler score 41 points in 41 minutes, uh, completely put the team on his back, especially in the second half, overcome a 13-point deficit, and they go out and they win game one. And, you know, we talked earlier in the week about the defenses that were in the Eastern Conference Finals and how the Hawks need to emulate that. But, you know, I, I just smile when I watch Jimmy Butler play. Like, every team should have a Jimmy Butler. He is by far and away, like, the best teammate in the NBA. I know that there are better stars and players to build around, you know, Giannis or KD or whatever it may be. Like, those are guys that obviously you build around. But I would love to build my team around a Jimmy Butler. It's got to be so damn easy. It, it, it literally has to be one of the easiest things to do because the guy – just shows up to work every day and does exactly what's expected of him. He does his job, and you never have to worry about effort. You never have to worry about any of the other stuff. He's very quiet. He's kind of got like that, that hard hat and lunch pail kind of attitude of going to work every day. And, and it just it's it's so great to watch, you know. I mean, and he's got that mean streak to him that you really love. Uh, and I'll never forget when he was with the Timberwolves and uh that story that came out that he got pissed in practice one day. And I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, but he got upset in practice one day, and he took all of the other bench players against the other four starters and allowed them to pick whoever they wanted in the fifth. And so he took all the guys at the end of the bench and him, and they played, you know, five on five in practice. They, they scrimmaged heads up, and Jimmy Butler destroyed them, flat out destroyed the other starting four. It's that right there, like that sold me on Jimmy Butler as one of the one of the best, you know athletes i guess of my generation one of the has one of the best mindset of any professional athlete i've ever seen i mean could you imagine jimmy butler and trey young together like as a one-two punch that would be you know incredible i don't think they could ever get them but it would be certainly be incredible if they actually did but regardless all right um enough on jimmy butler because the hawks have their own challenges coming up here in this offseason and our good buddy chris kirshner of the athletic if you guys don't read his work get a subscription to the athletic it's well worth it uh, just for if you're a Hawks fan, just for Chris's work alone, it's 
pivotal because he is so good and knows this team inside and out as good as anybody else does uh, in, in Atlanta and beyond. Now, that said, we've talked a lot about on the show about how the Hawks are going to go about rebuilding. And, and I really don't know. And rebuilding might not even be the right word. Retooling, I think, is better just because <clears throat> you have your superstar. So you don't have to rebuild. You don't, have to, you don't have to find that person to build around. It's like the NFL where you don't have a quarterback. You have to find that quarterback to build around. The Hawks have their star. What are they going to do to make this team better? And I have a hard time believing that anything can happen without a major move, without a major trade or roster reconstruction somehow. You know, there's a good chance John Collins is not going to be here. He's the best trade chip they have. He's under he's under contract. He's under salary control. And nobody has to worry about losing him. They can get him for an investment for a couple of years. And he's the best, second best player on this roster. Um, and you're going to have to probably part with him if you don't think that he's the, the number two that you want. But the other part of this, and we've talked about this a lot too, and it, it, Chris Kirshner, again, goes into this in his column um, and he did. He wrote the column along with NBA writer John Hollinger, who is the Grizzlies' vice president of basketball operations uh, for eight years. But you know they discussed the priorities, and a, a lot of what they go back to is Trey Young's attitude. You know, is Trey Young have the right attitude to elevate this team and elevate this roster? And I I don't know the answer to that yet. I don't think any of us know the answer. But I would I would lean on that there probably needs to be a little bit of an attitude adjustment from Trey if they hope to change the outcome of games and certain things with this team. You know, again, it, it, it's it, the team was inconsistent as they could be this year. You know, they lost 10 games in a row at one point. They, they, they had two separate winning streaks of seven games. It's like feast or famine the entire season. And this is one of those things where that points to coaching a little bit. It points to preparation. It points to, you know, the ability of these guys to to understand how to get themselves out of, you know, bad losing streaks or stay off of bad games. Um, you know, and, and I think that you need to find those players with the right mental capacity to do that because no one really says the Hawks aren't talented. I mean, you can make statements about DeAndre Hunter and what he is and whether they're going to extend him. And, they, you know, look, they probably won't unless he agrees to a very team-friendly deal. Um, you know, it might just be on a year to year deal here. I know he's a restricted free agent and everything, but it's there, there's a chance he'll be back. But again, a long term extension may be sort of out there because he just hasn't lived up to uh, what you thought he was going to be for the number four overall pick. That said, the Hawks need to get deeper uh, and they need to just have guys who show up to work every day and do the grunt work. And that's what they're missing. I mean, that's really what they're missing overall. And so this rebuild is as much about players as it is about personality. It's as much about the, the talent of the player that they get and the quality of the player that they get. Uh, and, and can these guys mesh with Trey? Can they change him around? Can they, can they force him to be a little bit different than what he's been before? And that's not an easy thing to do. You know, I, I don't know. You don't hear Trey like openly advocating for, you know, hey, we need John Collins back, right? Like, I know it's different and it's in a World Series, but, you know, Dansby Swanson sets out at the World Series parade and says, hey, sign Freddie. You know, like they had his teammates had that sort of adoration for him. I don't know if the rest of this this team has that same adoration for Trey at this point. They know he's the lead dog. 
they know he's the 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 MFIC, if you know what that is. Um, if not, you know, hit me up on Twitter, I'll tell you in a DM. Um, but nonetheless, they know that that he's the guy that everything revolves around. But you know, are there guys sitting here going, you know, Trey deserves more help, or we need to be better for Trey, or you know, we're not doing our part to to help out our superstar? Like you don't really hear that rallying cry. And sometimes to me, that's a little bit disconcerting. You know, I mean, we, we've heard Kyrie back up KD. You know, we've heard Draymond and Steph back each other up. You know, we've we've heard uh, all that from around the league, from guys who are backing up their teammates. Uh, and when they don't openly back up their teammates, it begs the question, what is the mental mindset of this team? And that's part of what I think they have to address this offseason. And so as you go through this whole deal, and we'll continue to dissect this to, to the nth degree, but for me, I look at it and wonder where the Hawks are going to make major changes to change not only the construct of the roster, but the mental makeup of the roster and get them in a championship caliber mindset. It'll be interesting. Coming up next, uh, Braves will finish up their series in Milwaukee, and uh, Ronald Acuna was back last night, so we've got a lot to dissect there. We'll do that next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back, A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, thank you guys for making A to Z part of your everyday sports listening here in the ATL. All right, Braves uh, get a win last night over the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, and they will finish up their series with Milwaukee today uh, in, in an afternoon game, a 110 start. So uh, they try to take two of three from Milwaukee again. But, you know, last night, no, oh, by the way, Max Friedi is on the mound against Corbin Burns today. So should be a good pitcher's matchup. If you look at last night, it felt like a game a little bit, and I've been sort of critical of the Braves, but it felt like a little bit like a game that the Braves won a lot of last year, right? Um, you you got a good starting pitching performance. Uh, you know, you had Ronald Acuna, whose first game back since May 10th, he goes one for three, two walks, has a stolen base. His groin seemed fine. He was running well. You know, uh, he was tagging up. I mean, he did everything that you wanted to see him do from that standpoint. So he looked good from, from there. And then, you know, you, you, after the quality start again, you get the big home run from Marcelo Zuna to give him a little breathing room and they win the game three, nothing. And while, you know, the score might not have epitomized what a game from last year was like, it was just one of those things where you got a lot of guys to do a lot of different things, right. And you want a ball game against a really good team. That's kind of, you know, what I took away from last night. And, you know, I know that things may get worse before they get better. I know that they may struggle to get above 500 here over the long haul, but, uh, I, I, you know, baseball is weird like that. You start to see different signs every single day of, of what you're going to be good at and what you're going to struggle at. So I, I think overall yesterday certainly was a little bit of an emotional uplift, especially after the one, nothing loss and the great game that you got pitched for Ian Anderson. And now you get max freed. If you get three, Really good starts in a row against this team. Um, I I feel good about them. Hopefully, starting to turn the corner. But again, the, the competition isn't going to get easier. You know, they've got to they've got to go take on uh, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Miami Marlins again. And so, you know, there is a lot of work left to do 
here to get this team back to where, you know, a lot of people feel they should be from a respectability standpoint. Uh, and, and look, they've had, they've had their own set of issues um, with, you know, the bullpen and everything else. And Tyler Matzik now goes on the DL, as you guys hear my dog barking me in the background, Never mind that. Um, but, you know, Tyler Matzik heads on the DL. And so they're going to need people to step up in the bullpen and figure out what the rest of this season is going to look like for them. And uh, if they can get two or three here, you know, and then really start to take off a little bit, maybe, just maybe, we'll start to feel a little bit better about this team as we hit Memorial Day weekend. All right, speaking of big weekends uh, and speaking of uh, weekends that we'll celebrate, Labor Day weekend is coming up. Maybe it's a little bit far away, but nonetheless, uh, you got the big uh, you got the big Labor Day weekend football games that we are all sort of looking towards. Uh, and one of them obviously being Georgia and Oregon uh, as they will get things kicked off in the Chick-fil-A peach bowl kickoff, Chick-fil-A peach peach kickoff, whatever you call it. I don't know. If, anyway, uh, you have Georgia and Oregon and then Notre Dame at Ohio State and uh, ESPN College Game Day will be at Columbus for that day, but it, it's the, the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic. Thank you. See, it took me a second, but eventually my hamster gets back on the wheel. Uh, and, you know, Georgia, Oregon is nice, but Notre Dame and Ohio State, like it, 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 when you get those two helmets playing each other and everybody knows about it, there is absolutely going to be, uh, that's going to be the biggest ticket in town. Uh, and I think Georgia, Oregon at Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to be a blast. You know, you get Dan Lanning going up against his former team in his first game ever as coach. Uh, it's really, you know, sort of uh, quirky how that all worked out, I guess, coincidental, if you will. But nonetheless, um, Marcus Freeman gets to coach his first regular season game at Notre Dame uh, against his alma mater in Ohio State. So there's a lot of, you know, connect connectivity and synergy there in the opening weekend of college football. But you also get that Sunday night game of uh, Florida State and LSU in New Orleans on uh, September 4th. All that happening on Labor Day weekend. And Really, college football has done an amazing job at making Labor Day weekend theirs, right? Because it's really nobody like the NFL hasn't started yet, you know, but I think I feel like they've had their last preseason game by the time Labor Day rolls around. You know, baseball doesn't make a big deal of Labor Day more than anything else. So college football is smart to own that weekend and really just, you know, suck up all the bandwidth from everybody else. And I think they did a really, really good job at that. Uh, but, you know, Georgia, Oregon, uh, some people were, were, were contending that they sort of got robbed a little bit, that they didn't put the defending national champion on college game day and the primetime game that night. Again, it's not about defending national champion unless your name is Alabama or Ohio State or Notre Dame, right? Like Georgia is a huge national program. I'm not saying that at all, but there are other programs that just continually have the public draw because of, and Notre Dame is one of them. Notre Dame hasn't been, good at all but they're still the biggest national brand when it comes to television so they get ohio state in in a 7 30 prime window and georgia has to be relegated to the 3 30 kickoff but again there's not really a lot of uh it's not that that's not necessarily about talent or anything else about players like you know i heard some some people in town talking about well it's stetson bennett they're not gonna i mean it's the helmet guys it's not the person wearing the helmet it's always going to be the helmet uh when it comes to college football so but the Florida State LSU game should be interesting. Um, Brian Kelly making his head coaching debut at LSU uh, against Florida State, you know, a team that he went up against a lot while he was at Notre Dame in the sort of pseudo ACC. Um, that should be a lot of fun. 
And then there are some other big games that have been leaked out as far as when television is doing in Wisconsin and Ohio State, Texas at Oklahoma, Florida at Florida State. Um, all those going to be, you know, national games. Uh, Alabama and Texas is going to be on Fox September 10th. That's the weekend. It's week number two, the week after um, Labor Day weekend. And dear Lord, boy, that could be Sarkeesian's just sort of like short term execution if that doesn't go well. <laughs> To get embarrassed right there in that spot. Uh, yeah, especially there. I think that game is at Texas too, right? It is. Um, yeah, it's at Texas. So I assume that game is in Austin. I don't think they went neutral site with that one. But nonetheless, um, Sarkeesian against his uh, his former boss and a Texas team that, well, had a lot of disappointment last year and not a lot of, uh, not a lot of celebration. So we'll see how Sark and company do. All right, that does it for us here today on A to Z. Again, appreciate you guys spending some time with me. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Mark Zeno. Hit me up there. Tell me what you love about the show. Love to hear from you guys. Love to hear the feedback. Don't forget to subscribe and like to our YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Atlanta. We're free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Thanks for making A to Z your first listen every day. Make your next listen. Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, the ATL Sports Talker. Has everything you need from... Hawks, Braves, Dogs, Falcons, whatever it may be, he's got you covered all the way from A to Z. See how I did that? See how I ref his show to my show? I'm talented like that. But we appreciate you guys supporting us. Again, over 1,000 subscribers already. Keep it going. Tell a friend. We'd love to have you guys here. That does it for A to Z. Back tomorrow on, this thir on Thursday as we wrap up here this Wednesday on A to Z. You guys have a great day. Don't get any crap from anybody. See ya.